Okay. Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to the 2016 Region 2 Joyful Journey Stepping into Freedom Convention. A special welcome if today is your first day at the convention. My name is Steve. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by Ask It Basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. And then I've been told around uh, the time that the third speaker is speaking, I'll kind of go through the questions and see if there are some general themes. And then we'll have the speakers uh, respond to the Ask It Basket questions when we're done. Uh, the topic for this session is steps eight and nine, clearing our side of the street. And the principle is dialogue. We will begin with a selection from the AA 12 by 12, pages 77 to 78. The reopening of emotional wounds, some old, some perhaps forgotten, and some still painfully festering, will at first look like a purposeless and pointless piece of surgery. But if a willing start is made, then the great advantages of doing this will so quickly reveal themselves that the pain will be lessened as one obstacle after another melts away. Um, who will speak for 15 minutes? Five minutes and then one minute, please. Oh, okay. Just do what you're okay. saying, whatever you are going to do. That's great. Very grateful to be here and very grateful to be in recovery. Um, so, I wanted to first to qualify. I think it's always good to see physical um, evidence of recovery. So, I'll show you these were my pants. So, 
I guess for the sake of the tape, this was a size 1820, um, and now I, I wear a size 810. Um, I know for women in the audience, that really, that did make a difference for me to be in the single digits. Um, and I was 250 pounds, um, and I've lost about 85 pounds, and I've been able to keep it um, only the grace of God and the miracle of this program for the past eight and a half years and have back-to-back -back, um, abstinence. I was very blessed um, to be introduced to um, the 90-day version of OA. I know there are all kinds of recovery in all versions of OA, and I'm just grateful that I was able to find the one that works for me. <clears throat> because I really, I really believe that I do have a disease and, you know, just like diabetes, you know, some people can just change their lifestyle and they would be fine. And some people need medication and some people need insulin. And for me, I'm somebody who, who needs the daily medication and needs insulin and needs, you know. Um, so when you, I compare that to my um, food addiction and I need the structure of the OA 90 day. And, um, and the way I do my program is I weigh and measure my, my meals. I have three meals a day, nothing in between except for water or decaffeinated tea. Um, I um, report my food to my sponsor every day and uh, I go to three meetings. I make three calls a day. I do uh, have quiet times. I uh, take my sponsor calls every day. And I do this as if my life depends on it. I don't claim to do this perfectly. By no means I do this perfectly. But I do this one day at a time. And anytime I forget, uh, I have reminders because I keep the constant contact with my fellowship. Um, so uh, if anything, just coming to meetings just has been such a lifesaver for me. And for those who come back from relapse, they just they do such an amazing um, such an amazing service because they remind us that the disease is very much alive, and it is a disease. This is not a moral issue. This is not a discipline issue. This is really an illness. Um, and I don't believe there is uh, you know there is no I, there is no waste in oh, I do believe there is no waste in God's economy, and I don't think just the God, you know God of my understanding. Um, you know, has created the, this diseased being for here. I really believe the disease has been my way back to my higher power. Um, now, I was somebody who, um, you know, I've always had my faith, but I, w I ran away from religion really fast. I was only hurt by religion gr growing up, so I didn't want to have anything to do with that kind of God. And so, but kind of quietly, I've kept my faith. And but coming to OA, I've learned that I, um, food was, was my higher power. Food was a way for me to be able to keep things smoothly and um, really expand, literally, physically I was expanding. I was 250 pounds. But I, the, the, the way the disease showed up in my life was I really expanded beyond my limitation um, to really make everything okay and everyone else okay, to keep things smoothly. And um, that translated in every parts of my life, including food. Um, so, and, and I know today we we're talking about step eight and nine, and I have to tell you, I keep telling myself, I can only share my strength and hope with you. Um, I find that these are my weakest steps. Um, it actually, you know, I've, I've, I've done the steps a few times, um, and I just finished step nine again. So I really think the higher power had a plan. 
Um, so I'm, I'm grateful to have been asked to do this um, today. So, you know, I guess I, I'm going to also speak to this idea of keeping everything smoothly is, um, you know, I kept eating and stuffing my face so I can go out there and do more and accommodate and take care of others in my mind. Uh, by no means I'm a saint. I have my own, my own problems, big time problems too. Um, but, you know, I remember when I started losing the weight and people were noticing and, and so one of my friends actually said, you know, it's not just the weight loss. It's, you know, the weight of the world is off of your shoulder, your shoulders. And I never forget that. I remember where we were and um, what we were doing when she, she said that. So, you know, for me, that's what the program that has done for me. It's not just the weight off of my body. It's, it's the weight off of my shoulders. And um, so the steps uh, eight and nine um, is about clearing our side of the street. And this is what I, what I got in the past couple of weeks as I was working through the steps. It's kind of the, the, the steps eight and nine allow me to bring the yin and yang together. So, you know, when I look at, for example, you know, when I step over my boundaries and I say something or do something that is not helpful, um, when, or I'm, I'm hurting someone, if I, if I speak to it and take my part, in it, then I make an attempt in, in coming closer together. And the, the yin and yang, the, the negative and the positive, really becomes more whole. And I'll give you an example. It was actually a funny one. Um, I have two teenage daughters that are wonderful, wonderful children, but they're teenagers. And, and um, my older daughter just came back from college, first year of college, in summertime home, and we're all excited. But dear God, we have to adjust again. And um, so... And they, they, they have a really good relationship, but just this summer, they, they're just fighting constantly. And I get tired of it, and I want to get in and fix it, and they only have a couple more months, and now the relationship is going to be destroyed, and what are we going to do? Because my diseased mind, my addict, addictive mind, really thinks catastrophes and disasters are going to happen now. Um, so, and, and so one morning, as I was doing my quiet time, I realized, you know what? Maybe it's not my job to get in there. Maybe, maybe I actually make things worse. So I didn't say anything to that, and I just I, and I remembered making an amend about it. And I did actually say to my daughters, I said, you know, sometimes I think I'm helpful, but um, I think sometimes I make things bad, worse. So please let me know when I'm stepping over. Now, I've opened that door, so my my girls have a chance to do that um, often, but. Um, <laughs> But we were sitting at the dinner time uh, the other day, and actually my older daughter started saying, you know, uh, my sister and I were talking, and um, we were thinking about how our relationship is kind of like Middle East. And, um, and my younger was like, oh, no, no, don't tell him anything. I, that's not what I'm saying. You know, it's her saying this. And I said, no, let's tell me. I want to hear it. And she said, you know, it's, a really, it's just like Middle East. She's studying international relations. And she said, it's kind of like Middle East. It's really complicated. And everybody from the outside think they have a solution. And they really don't. And you know when things really got bad? I think got really complicated and bad is when U.S. started really um, intervening. So I don't mean to make this political. It was really a dinner conversation we had. And, um, and I thought, you know, I hear you. That's it. You know, I guess who's the U.S. here? Um, <laughs> The one with the ultimate power. Um, and 
Uh, I tell you, uh, this is this is where the yin and yang comes together. And now, now the bickering still can go on, and I can just pray and walk away. I can pray and walk away. And it used to be that I would stuff my face, and I would, you know, I would be a victim to this process. And oh my God, my crazy original, you know, family of origin stuff now is in my own f- home after all these years of therapy and all these years of recovery. And look at this. So I could just go on and on and on. But instead, I get to really turn this over um, to my higher power and really, really practice it. The other thing is, today I was kind of anxious about this and completely in denial. I thought it was tomorrow. Um, So thank God I spoke to my sponsee and she happened to notice this workshop. So God really wanted me here, although I wanted to go somewhere else. Um, So this morning, I I was having a hard time doing my quiet time. And one of the gifts of the program has been I'm actually starting to love gardening. I hated gardening. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So I started actually gardening um, because you really get the yin and yang in gardening. You really, I mean, manure is the very thing that feeds the rose. I mean, it's just, you see God all over it. And I just happened that obsessively I started pruning, and I've not pruned in my life before, um, I've hired this woman that actually teaches me how to garden. I do the work. And she told me, it's like giving a haircut, and you want to go to where you can see the leaves branch in two. And you can see the, sorry, you can see the leaves on both sides, and then that's where you cut. And as I was cutting, I was thinking, and, and I've seen, like, when I've cut that part, then you see growth comes, and it's really beautiful, like it actually expands. And I thought, wow, this is like step eight and nine. Like, it's really about a pruning. It's really about a kind of, you know, and I used to think about uh, making amends. It was like, oh, my God, i got to actually think about what I've done. And f- shame and guilt will come, and it will be the kind of cutting that destroys. It's the kind of cutting that um, cuts me off of aliveness. And um, But I'm learning that step in eight, eight and nine, it's really like pruning. It's about coming, bringing the two sides together and allowing for growth to happen. And I've, um, one of the biggest surprises for me was that I was on top of my amends list. And I need to keep on making amends to myself and uh, a living amends. And, um, and what that looks like is that I write my fears and resentments every day and I surrender them to my higher power. And I remind myself that I'm a child of God and there is no, no waste in God's economy and there are no mistakes in God's world, including me. I'm not an exception. And um, the majority of my, actually most of my amends list, according to my sponsor, I still think she's just being nice to me, but um, is uh, I'm, I make living amends to my family members. Um, I have beautiful, loving, loyal family members that are also impacted by the disease very deeply. And so I'm married to the same man, I have the same mother, the same children as before the program. And for the most part, I feel really blessed with my relationships um, because I get to be reminded again and again when, when I forget, I make my outreach calls and I get reminded by my fellow recovery um, members. Um, and I get to make living amends, and I get to um, ask and pray God to let me see this person as your child. And that doesn't mean I get to be a doormat. That does, my higher power does not want me to be a victim. That when I can stay connected and pray um, to really see this individual and me as a child of God, children of God, that um, 
the yin and the yang comes together and I can take care of myself and I don't have to harm someone else. And if I do it, I can actually, um, I can actually see what I can do to change that. Um, and it's just an amazing gift. And I wanted to just leave with a couple really important prayers that I have in addition to the first three steps uh, that I do every morning. And the third step and the seventh step prayer is something I do all the time. But um, I always ask God for the willingness to trust him or her. Because when it comes to trusting God, I do the same thing. I do a lot of lip service, but I take it back because I want control. I even tried to sit in the f in middle seat because I didn't want to be the first one up. Um, and God is like, okay, not, not, you, not your thing. Um, so God, give me the willingness to trust you. So in that event, I have to turn it over to God. And also, I ask God for the uh, willingness to live life fully. And living life fully today means I may need a nap, means maybe I just need some alone time, or maybe means I need to be productive as heck and get things done because my kids are flying tomorrow. So I don't know what it is, but I do know I need to, um, I need to ask for that, for the willingness to live life fully, because my disease is a disease of isolation, and I want to isolate, and I want to take control. And now I'm at a place that something is really hard, and I realize I'm in step one, and it's like, oh, goody, I get to turn it over. It's not mine anymore. And woohoo, I can just let go and um, do the next right thing. And sometimes, and I know this is being taped, doing the next right thing is to go pee. And, you know, it's like what, and I remember, like, I made an outreach call, and somebody said, so what do you need in your body physically right now? Like, really bringing it down to the basics. So um, thank you for the opportunity. And I just realized, oh God, this was taped. So um, anyways, well, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for being here so we can have this amazing, amazing life-changing experience. Thank you. Basket Basket has started going around. Please keep it moving as the speakers are, are speaking. Um, let's welcome our second speaker, Michelle. Okay, I'm a little shorter than doing that. Let the, rec the tape reflect that. Um, anyway, uh, I'm Michelle from Sacramento, and um, hi, 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 and really glad to be here, and really glad to be speaking on steps eight and nine. Um, yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm a good person to speak on it because I was scared. This was the number one most scariest thing to me. The from the very first day I found out about the first steps about the 12 steps, making amends. The scariest thing. The second thing is speaking. But the first thing is, was the idea of making amends. And so I remember when I was on step four, my very first sponsor, you know, she said, what are you afraid of about doing step four? And I said, step nine. And she said, well, you're not on step nine. You don't ever have to get to step nine. You just have to do step four. 
And so, um, so that I did get to step nine, but one step at a time. So I'll talk about that. So um, the first thing I want to say is we only have 15 minutes, so I you know can't say everything there is to say about steps eight and nine. So the one thing I would say is um, there's these great books on it, and um, all you know sometimes I think like like the OA 12 and 12 is the best book on it. And then other times I think the AA Steps and Traditions are the best, best book on a certain step. And then other times, you know, the big book's always good, but sometimes not as clear as the OA 12 and 12 and all that. On these steps, I think you need all three of them. I mean, I really do. I think they're all three great. One of my favorite things is the big book in Step 9 says, you know, it doesn't say exactly this, but something like this, you don't grovel. And that's what I, I mean, they don't use the word grovel. I can't remember the exact words. I'm terrible at the, the quoting, but it's something you don't grovel when you make amends. And I, that's what I always remember when I'm making amends. I don't have to grovel. I can, you know, hold, hold my head up high, high when I do it. So anyway, so my, my number one recommendation are these three books. So I'll put them down. Um, so I came to OA. Uh, my second, I came to OA. I've been in OA for 17 years and nine months almost 10 months, so, I, uh, so I'm almost, almost 18 years. And um, I've been abstinent that, uh, that entire time. Um, you know, this isn't on abstinence, so I won't tell you what that means other than it's not like a diet. And um, maintaining about 55, 60-pound weight loss. Now, I'm in, now my weight is on the chart for my height. Um, and then also I've, I've gotten something that um, I did not come for, I didn't even know I needed, is about a million pounds of relief from the guilt and shame I was carrying deep inside me. And mo- a lot of that has to do with steps, steps eight and nine. Um, so I do, I do want to say a little bit about what life was like before because uh, steps nine, eight and nine have been, you know, big on changing that. And that, that is, I, you know, number, well, food-wise... I was a binger and a constant eater and a workaholic. And um, I was in a challenging marriage. I don't want to say it was bad, but it was challenging. It was as un- unhealthy as I was, and he was. <laughs> and, um, and, that, and that's what I've learned about Steps 8 and 9. It's not about him. It's about me cleaning up my side of the street. I had two kids who were only 7 and 9. And the way I got through life was uh, by... I was nice to everybody. I was agreeable, and um, and then I never expressed my true feelings or who I was. It wasn't hard not to express who I was because I had no idea who I was. I just wanted to be loved, and figured that had nothing to do with me because I wasn't didn't think very highly of myself. So I was constantly trying to get love by not being me and not saying what I felt. But then I'd go home. And I'd rage to the people I love the most. And that's, that's, pretty, I mean, that's pretty much what my life was like. Working, going home, raging to the ones I love the most. I didn't have a lot of friends, except a few people who forced themselves on me. So I didn't have relationships. Uh, you know, the theme of this also is dialogue. So you, it's hard to have dialogue with people when you don't say what you think or even say who you are. So, um, so life was pretty unmanageable, as well as being powerless over food. Um, and then, so I'm going to talk about how I did steps, have come, come to learn steps eight and nine, and how I ex- tell my, 
suggest that my, suggest, I got little quote marks here, that my sponsees do steps eight and nine. So the first thing is, is I, um, you know, step eight, you make a list of all persons you have harmed, you think you've harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. So the first thing is you make a list. Hopefully you already have that list from step four. And then um, the second thing is, uh, so that leaves the question of what's harm. And I'm not going to define that. It's in the books, but uh, there's a lot of discussion in the books. But the two challenges for, for me is it's the harm we've caused. And we do it even if we've caused harm to someone who's caused a lot of harm to us. So I'll talk about an amends I had to make where someone had caused a lot of harm to me too. And then um, the second thing is I'm not, harm is not, just because someone doesn't like me does not mean that I caused them harm. Because I know if, initially I had a huge list of people, you know, including like someone, you know, I'm in a profession sometimes where people don't like you or at least pretend like they don't like you. Well, I don't owe them amends because I didn't do any, I didn't cause any harm. So the second thing I have in step, steps, uh, eight, step eight is, and this is something my, my sponsor taught me, is we look at our patterns because this is not just about going up and saying, I'm sorry. It's about change, changing the way we behave and changing the way we show up in the world. So I have my sponsees now answer questions like, in what, you know, with their list in front of them, how did I harm these people? What was my relationship to them? What shortcoming or character defect had caused me to act in such a way? And what emotions were guiding me? And, um, and it's, it's only by doing these kind of questions that I can really become genuinely able to change. Because I, I got to look at what I'm really doing. Because I had, I used to say I'm sorry to everybody. Mostly either like my kids, I'm yelling and screaming, and I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Next day, yelling and screaming. So um, that really wasn't very effective, and they didn't, that's not a healthy relationship. And they told me that, even though they were on seven and nine. Um, so, um, and then in step eight, the OA 12 and 12 talks a lot about learning how to forgive before we make amends, because if you're angry, it's still angry at the person. It's not, the amends don't quite come out right. Step, steps nine, we make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So my sponsors, all of them, have had me write out my amends that I'm going to make, even if they're dead, even if I don't know where they are, even if I'm not even going to, you know, to say something to them would cause them harm. You just write it out so you know what it is. And then um, all the books say you keep it direct, you keep it simple, and then the OA 12 and 12 says, we make an honest and straightforward acknowledgement of the specific harm we've done. And then my sponsors, my, I have, I'm in two programs, so I've had these two sponsors for a really long time. Both of them say, you also say, I was wrong. You add that in there. So that's a fun one. Anyway, so we, we do this acknowledgement of what we did. We apologize. We make appropriate restitution. And most, most importantly, we change our behavior in the future. We make living amends. Um, and then we don't make amends to people who we do harm. So what I thought I would do is like just give a couple examples, because that's the one thing I can bring that's not in the books. It's my experience, strength, and hope. So I, can't, I couldn't find it in the books, but I know when I made my list, I prioritized which ones I was, would be easy, and then had them easy to hard, not easy to hardest, easy to I will never make amends to that person as long as I live. That, that's those were the last people on the list. So the first people on my list were my kids. 
I wanted to make amends to them. Um, I never, I never wanted to yell at them or anything like that. So I, I did make amends to them. They were young. Uh, I can't remember how old they were. I mean, it was anyway. And they were very uncomfortable when I made them. They were that age, like maybe you know, maybe eleven and nine or something. So very uncomfortable. But the, with them, the most important thing was making living amends. And thank, thank God I did because we got, we all survived through the teenage years. Now they're 26 and 28, and I have a great relationship. I have an open dialogue with them. Of course, I have to wait for them to pick up the phone or call me, but that, that's part of the dialogue, too, and letting them live their lives. So another, another, the ne- another amends I wanted to include, I had a long list, and, I, I did, and like I said, as I did each amends, each of them became easier and easier. I like the reading in the, in the 12 and 12, because that's what it was. As I did amends, I wanted to do the next one, and I wanted to do the next one. Sometimes I had to call my sponsor the night before I was making the amends and call my sponsor when I was done. I had to sandwich in the amends with some calls. But I never had a bad experience making amends. So the other one was um, this woman who was the office manager at a firm where I, wor- I, I worked. And I was terrible to the secretaries where I worked. And she was the office manager. And she came up to me in a public lobby and tried to talk to me about the way I acted towards secretaries, that I was very demanding. I'm demanding myself, demanding of other people. And I just told her off right there in a public lobby. And, you know, I was in that kind of profession. You know, I was a lawyer, and I was in that kind of profession where the other other lawyers who heard it, they were right on, way to go. Yeah, but that, so, so what? You know, you don't treat someone like that. I had not seen her for 25 years, and um, she lived in San Francisco, and I lived in Sacramento. And so one sponsor said, you made, you caused the harm in person, you go see her in person. I said, I haven't seen this woman for 25 years. Another sponsor said, oh, you can just write her a letter. So I called someone else in the program, and she said, Michelle, you've done your footwork. Right now, it's between you and God, how you make those amends. You know, I had this little conflicting thing. I picked up the phone and called her right away. So I hardly knew this woman. 25 years, she was the office manager in a law firm. She, I make the amends, and she kept saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And I said, I need to do this to, to let go of the guilt and shame of this. She said, you can't believe what this means to me. My, hus- we, I, my husband just died on a trip to Europe. I've been through a terrible time uh, getting his body back from Europe. You just can't believe what this means to me. And I didn't, didn't know, hardly knew her. And so I get off the, so we chat and we get off the phone. So talk about initiating a dialogue. I hadn't even talked to a woman. And then we get off the phone. I grab my dog. We go for a walk up to my girl's softball field. And I'm sitting there in the dark and I think, you know, here's someone, I didn't want to make amends to people. She was low on my list, making amends to a complete stranger like that. And I didn't want to make amends to her. And so, I, but I said to myself, and by then I had made a lot of amends, I said to myself, thank God I didn't deprive myself of step nine. Because that was my plan. I would never do step nine. The last one I wanted to talk about was my ex-husband. And he's the one where he had caused me a lot of harm. And, um, like, even the night before I was making the events, I was meeting with one of my sponsors, and I answered, you know, I had this, these questions I was supposed to answer. One of them was, you know, what's keeping you from wanting to make amends? I, the night before, I still had a long list of the stuff he did to me. 
And so, um, but I was in a new relationship. And I had delayed making this amends um, because we were in, we were going through a divorce and we were sort of in a custody discussion and stuff like that. Making amends at that time could harm my kids. And I did this after talking to my sponsor. So we delayed. But I was in a new relationship and one of my sponsors said, Michelle, you're in a new relationship. You have to make amends to your ex-husband. You have to do it. So she said, why don't you meet him at a coffee shop? I said, he won't do it. He won't, he won't want to go meet me. So I made, so I, I seem to have a spiritual connection at softball fields. Or I spent a lot of my time there when my kids were in high school. So anyway, so we're at a softball game, and I said, you know, Greg, can you come over? Can we talk for a minute? He says, oh, sure. So we go over, like, off on our, cell, our own, and I make the amends. Um, this, these events were kind of different because I had a long list, detailed list of stuff I had done, stuff I'd said to him that was mean, the ways I was controlling. You know, we lived in Milpitas for a year, and I didn't like it. We moved to Sacramento. Never mind he had a job in Milpitas. We go where I want to go. So, but this was a long list. It was a 20-year relationship, and, and I just didn't, it didn't feel honest because, you know, a long, detailed list of what I had done in 20 years really didn't feel, feel like that was accurate. So my, when I met with the sponsor, the sponsor the night before, and she said, you know, in this situation, why don't you make it more general? I mean, you, you describe what you've done, that you're, you were controlling, you were disrespectful, you, you were critical, you blamed him for your own problems, you expected him to take care of you, instead of like the detailed list of, I wasn't attracted to you sexually. You know, that's not. That doesn't need to be repeated, and that would cause him harm. And she said, in this situation, usually you're, you're direct. You don't, you get right to the amends. You don't, you know, sugarcoat it. She said, in this situation, why don't you tell him how, how, the things you were grateful for about your relationship? And I'm going to tell you, it was so amazing. So I told him what I was grateful for, and I started making amends. Um, and I thought, you know, his reaction would be, he knew I was, I'd been in OA for quite a while by then, and he didn't like it because he was a compulsive overeater. He did not like I was in OA. And he did, because I talked to you guys, because I talked to you guys and I got healthy and he, you know, and he wasn't yet. So I thought his reaction was, oh yeah, you're making amends to me because you're in a 12-step program. And so um, anyway, so I made the amends. He started crying and he made, he made amends to me. He said, I made so many mistakes and I know it's too late. So um, that's what I have. My time's up, and, you know, that it's changed my life. I have a life far beyond my wildest dreams. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Um, our third speaker, please welcome Tom. Tom, a recovering compulsive overeater food addict. I feel so much higher than the rest of you. I gotta remember I'm not your higher power though. I like to believe I'm I'm a higher power, but um, I'm a little uh, nervous. I don't know if you could be a little nervous. I'm nervous. You know, it's like I was grateful to not be first, you know, so I could just relax for a while and listen, but I'm nervous the whole time, but I enjoyed hearing everybody. But uh, 
I gotta turn this over to my higher power because it's not about me. You know, I'm here to be of service. Anyway, um, I went to my first OA meeting in October 1984. I felt connected. I shared. I had it all preconceived notions. I knew contempt prior to investigation, there'd be all 300 pound housewives and I wouldn't fit in. There wasn't one 300 pound housewife. I felt connected, I shared, which is hard for me to do because I was very isolated. I shared about how food was my best friend, my lover. You know, I take it to bed at night, etc. I felt connected, so much so that I came back two years and three months later. <laughs> and, and the reason was, it didn't get bad enough, you know. But what was really beautiful was I knew finally that there was a way out. I knew finally there was a solution. And uh, the reason, too, it took so long was because I wasn't ready, because I had my whole life built around this premise that I was different. I was terminally unique. Nothing would really work out for me. Nothing would flow. I've tried different religions. I've tried everything. And... and uh, and then when I actually experienced OA, I experienced there is a way out, there is a solution, there's a way I could connect to higher power, there's a way I could have peace and joy in my life. It was a little overwhelming. You know, I wasn't quite ready for it because of my belief system. So it took a little while. I mean, I felt very good about that meeting. And I attempted to go to one other meeting in those two years and three months, and I got to the parking lot of the apartment complex. I didn't see it. I didn't walk out of the car. I didn't see it, I just went to a movie theater and ate sweet stuff. But uh, it just had to take time. It really got worse and worse. So anyway, always been fantastic for me. Uh, when I did come back in uh, January 87, it was more because I was emotionally constipated along with physically and uh, just totally messed up. Anyway, I'm just really grateful for the program. And uh, my abstinence started on February 8th. 1987, when this local store down the street closes at 9 p.m., it's about 8.30, the craving hit, and I was going to use willpower, which really is won't power. And willpower lasted about three minutes, 8.38 a.m., p.m., excuse me. And I'm ready to go out the door, but what I did was I got on my knees, and I just said, please help me. You know, it was like a, to a higher power. Please help me. And uh, somehow I didn't go to the store. And uh, I've been abstinent since then, so it's 29 years and four months, one day at a time. Uh, today, the most important is the most important day, and and that's really good considering I'm really big on self sabotage historically. Um, anyway, let me uh, let me go into uh, step eight, the dialogue. Uh, one thing that's really important with the dialogue is, and I have this fear that I won't have enough to talk about, even though I've written all this stuff out and everything, <laughs> if I need it. But uh, what's important really, the way I look at it, working with a sponsor, is it's important to really meet with the sponsor, you know, for each step, uh, of course. But if I was to pick two steps that are absolutely necessary to meet with the sponsor, it would be step five and step eight. And the reason for step eight and the importance of dialogue is I can't trust my head to figure this out. You know, it's like like I heard before, you know, I I could have a list. I'm supposed to be very honest and open. 
So it's good for me to just write out everything, any possibility that I, amends need to be made, right? That's fine, get it out there. But it doesn't mean that they all need to be made. So I need to be clear, have clarity on that, and that's where the dialogue with the sponsor comes in is very important. Um, I think, too, I just had a thought in my head. I also have a cold, so hopefully my, I've been conserving my voice as much as possible for this. Uh, anyway. Um, the thing to remember, I know there's a link between 8 and 9, but it's important for me to remember that there's a big distinction between 8 and 9. 8 is not 9. And just like each step has to be worked individually. Thank you. I think I'm going to be able to fill up the time. <laughs> oh, man. This goes fast. Um, and that is the step 8 made a list, list of all persons we had harmed became willing to make amends to them all. That's all I'm doing. I'm making a list. Okay? I'm not making the amends. I need to remember that. And what I really need uh, with my sponsor, and it is important to be objective. So it's like I could go either way. I could be in denial that, no, I don't need to do this or do that, or I need to do everything. You know, I'm the cause of everybody's problems. You know, I, it's all on me. You know, I'm the center of everything, center of the universe. So we've got to clarify things. And, you know, one thing the sponsors really helped me with in step A is that, okay, what is the actual harm done? You know, try to get it narrowed down because a lot of times, you know, I'm all over the place, you know, historically anyway. And it's like, so, you know, get to the point. You know, we have to be real objective and we have to be real clear. You know, I shouldn't go to somebody and apologize for something that I didn't do. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, what if somebody did that to me? And you know, it's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry. But it's like, I mean, it's, it's not necessary. So um, another thing that's really important, now I know when we do the fourth step and the fifth step, and I've heard a lot of people burn, their, burn it, you know, that's fine, but burn it after doing the eighth and ninth step. You know, burn it definitely after the eighth step, you know, because there's valuable information on there, you know, that's really needed. You know, this has to be really thorough. You know, that really needs to be thorough, like work this step. So if I, if I don't have my fourth step with me, uh, you know, I don't. You know, I might miss a lot of stuff. Um, also, I need to surrender that uh, I forgot to pack my lunch today, and I'm going to be working uh, this after this morning. So I'm, I need to let that go. You know that I'm imperfect. Um, anyway, I'll need to get some alternative. Uh, okay, so we fine tune with the sponsor. We've got very clear on, on what actually is is the harm done, and then. So step eight and nine are referred to in the 12 by 12 as improving personal relations. You know, it's, it's one more step out of coming out of isolation, one more step out of cleaning up our side of the street and being able to just live happy, productive lives and not carry on all this torment of the past. Uh, one thing that's mentioned, too, is sometimes I might have pur purposeful forgetting. You know, I might forget about something that needs to be said or done. And I had... I had one amends, you know, I forget about it when I'd be doing my eight steps. I'd done several, several eight steps, nine steps. And it's like, but it keeps coming up in my head, you know. And finally, this, I, I think it was like 15 years in the program, you know, I finally uh, included it in my eight step. And it was about when I was a teenager in Southern California, I, I uh, went to the library and I had this uh, class, an English class, it was in satire. And... And I had a Time magazine, 
And not everything was in color as much then, I guess. I don't know, but it was just, they had this political cartoon right on the subject, and it was so beautiful, and I cut it out. You know, I took the magazine or something like that. And, and, uh, and at some level, it was tormenting me little by little over the years. And, and somehow I was willing to finally uh, take care of that, and I sent, like, a certain amount of money, and they ended up, it was just a bonus that they were very happy. They sent me two letters, and they got two subscriptions, you know, and all that stuff. I just felt better, but that, I had forgotten about that one for a long time. Uh, so it, it's good to, you know, it's good to be clear. Um, very important uh, to admit all wrongs. Uh, again, thoroughness. Um, exhaustive survey of the past. Yeah, which is what we uh, do by having the fourth step, which is very helpful for that. Uh, I wanted to mention. Uh, Step nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And it's really important not to, not to work the steps, not to do step nine in order to break the back of someone else. Not to do step nine in order for me to get rid of my guilt or feel better or something. And, you know, I just had one, an amends done to me uh, for my uh, ex-wife uh, that, you know, if she was in program, maybe she would have adhered to this because to me it was like information that really I didn't see where it helped me. It just hurt me, you know, but she did the best she could and I had to accept and forgive her. Um, but I need to not do that. And uh, anyway, I did a, um, I took a cross-country trip. I've resented my father for years. I'll give you an example here. Thank you really blamed him for my life being so messed up and everything, you know, at a deep level. And he's back east, you know, he's in New Jersey. And, and I drove, first time I ever drove cross country, but I drove there. And really the purpose was to heal um, the pain and wounds of my childhood. So basically, I've always wanted him. He never, I don't think he's ever acknowledged any wrongdoing, ever. He's been a rageaholic, he did a lot of, lot of damaging stuff, but wasn't there for me as a kid, etc. But, you know, I went there because I had such a strong resentment. It was just consuming me, you know, and finally I needed to do something. So I go to him, and, uh, and you know, I apologized to him, which was really hard for me because I've hated him so much. And I apologized to him for hating him all these years, resenting him. And I gave him a hug, and uh, I was crying. I didn't cry much. And... And, and while I felt some relief and some release, the kid in me, I think, was hoping that he would say, well, me too, you know, I did nothing, absolutely nothing. And, but, I, but I left, and since then, I still, I'm not, never going to be perfect, it's never 100%, but I still resent him sometimes, but it's nothing like it was. You know, it really healed me so much, you know. And probably the, that was the one, it's like they say, you know, the, the things I resist the most are the things that are best for me, at least I say that for me, but, but it seems like that. I only resist what's good for me, you know, usually. And I really resisted that amends probably more than any, and it probably gave me the most healing. So it's good to remember that, you know, this is, this is all positive stuff, and if we're not on step nine now, don't worry about it, you know, like the step before, you know, just we're one step at a time. And the right time will come when it's supposed to. In step, it talks about in step nine making direct amends. So I just kind of, this is just my idea what would be the most direct would be in person if possible. Next, maybe phone, 
uh, mail, email, I'm not sure which order, text, messaging on Facebook. <laughs> no, I don't think that would be good. Um, anyway, most direct. I was always already talked about the importance of living amends. And what I would do in the marriage and with my daughter was the I'm sorry syndrome, you know. And, you know, they weren't very appreciative because I'd constantly be saying I'm sorry because I always mess up and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, so really, I need to pick my spots and I really need to change my behavior. And that's the bottom line. And a lot of times it means not saying anything. You know, why am I saying, why am I saying I'm sorry? So that they could approve of me and show what a great person I am and how self-aware I am and all this stuff and still have the same behavior treating them not, bad, not good. And that doesn't work very well. So sometimes I just had to sit with the discomfort of my own acting out in whatever form and deal with it, you know, and deal with my codependency or how they think of me and all that stuff. Um, anyway, um, so summarizing, uh, eight and nine are very important, very good. Um, they've given me a lot of peace of mind. Uh, I really hate making amends, so, you know, by, it's, it teaches me to live my life in a certain way where I hopefully won't have to make amends, or make amends as little as possible. And, and uh, so it's something I really think about. In, in my relationship uh, I'm in now, um, I've been better. I've actually learned, you know, and I had some acting out and anger issues, and not that I don't still, but they're much less. And I just accepted, learned from it. And, and you know, the thing, too, is to be gentle with myself. I'm not going to change overnight. It's not a cop-out, but it's true. You know, I just need to make progress, not perfection. And in higher powers' time, the changes gradually occur. As long as I keep showing up and working the program regularly, you know, the, the great saying, keep coming back, it works. It really does. You know, the best thing I've done has been consistent, you know, all throughout the almost 30 years or whatever. And I just want to say I had this awareness, this is silly, of a thing with numbers, but when I just started the program, I had some absence. I had this thought that when I'm, I was 35 years old, when I'm 72, if I'm still abstinent, I'll have over half my life abstinent. Well, I'm taking, I don't want to rush it, maybe one day at a time, but I am 64 and I'm still absent, so I'm getting close to the 50, God willing, but... But, and I, with the self-sabotage, there was a statistic that came out in OA years ago, too, that, that like only 3% of the people had five years of absence or something. And usually with me, it would terrify me, you know. It's like, oh, no, I'm going to fail. But somehow I had this same thought that came to me. It was God working, saying, well, why don't you help improve that statistic, you know, which I was able to do, you know, and uh, thank you. So it's just a matter of uh, showing up and uh, being teachable and... Like I like what I heard before, admitting that I'm wrong, and the more I know, the less I know. Thank you. Um, okay, let's thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Um, and then we'll ask them to please come up and sit on the stage, and, and I'll try and convey to them questions from the Ask It basket.
I guess whoever decides to address the question can, can come on up. So there's some, some themes for uh, that seem to be kind of common to some of the questions, so I'm going to pull those together. One of them was about forgiveness. Um, could one or any of you um, address the topic of forgiveness? I'm Michelle, compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the OA 12 and 12 is really good on forgiveness and, you know, tools you can use um, to work on forgiveness. And, and uh, one is was a prayer. Um, and that's and where you, you pray that somebody has, gets everything you want for them for yourself. And, um, and you do that for two weeks. And I've heard amazing stories about that. And I, I had a, uh, like a big higher up in my office. Um, and I, I did that for her. And actually, I prayed that she gets everything she wants. And you know what? She was like promoted right out of our our organization, so it was great. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it's about prayer, it's about writing, it's about getting to my part. And you know what? The other thing I learned is, uh, with my ex-husband, um, is I can't, I couldn't wait for perfect forgiveness. I couldn't wait. Um, and the process of doing step nine gave me incredible forgiveness for him. So that's what I got. So maybe these guys have something else. Just briefly, uh, what, what occurred to me is I need to forgive myself in order to forgive others. So I have to keep working on that first. Thanks. Um, well, that's kind of that's a good segue into um, the other theme that seemed to come up is could you talk a little bit about how or the process of making amends to yourself. I guess I'll go because I didn't go for the others. Um, I, I guess, you know, that's certainly, uh, this is Dolat. Uh, my name is uh, Dolat, I'm a food addict. Um, and that's definitely a work in progress for me. And Actually, one of the ways that I do become the higher power is I there's this kind of crazy thought that comes that, and it's not conscious. I don't think about it, you know, normally. It's only when I do my writing, and especially when I write my resentments and fears. Somehow, I I feel like I have this magical power that I can really um, ruin things and make things go bad. So I, if anything goes bad, somehow unconsciously I'm it. I, I did it. And I know it's a very um, kind of a childlike, and I it's probably I adopted it as a child, in, in having a sense of control. So I'm learning to um, to start to recognize that. And, I, and again, I can only see it show up when I do my daily um, inventory, um, and I do write my daily inventory and uh, resentments and fears, and I do a a seven-step prayer. So, um, and that has been really helpful to me. I know it's not exactly eight or nine steps specifically, um, but that's been really helpful to me, um, and um, to remember that I'm also a child of God, and 
And uh, yeah, the other thing is also about defects of character. And, and uh, so I'm going to use my gardening metaphor again. Um, so I actually started weeding for the first time, like myself getting down on my knees and actually doing it. After the guy at the store actually said to me, there is no magical spray that will get rid of the bad ones. And um, so uh, I was completely shocked that there is no such a thing. And so I actually started doing that. And um, and my gosh, the next day they show up again. And it's like, what's up with that? And then I realized, oh, maybe this is in God's plan. You know, it's, um, it's really a daily reprieve. And my character defects, just like weeds, they were meant to be seeds that are, you know, going to be... You know, it could have been something wonderful somewhere else, but not in my garden. So um, I get to pull them one day at a time. So that actually, that image helps me so I can actually just let myself be human and know that I'm willing to make amends when I do make mistakes. So this is an interesting one. Um, so... This question was, since this is a feelings disease, how do you defrost your feelings and stay abstinent? Well, for one thing, I need to have the, the, the focus that I need to be willing to go to any lengths to recover. And, and the only way I could change my thinking turns into feelings is by positive action and because you know my um, like if I want to do something if I have to wait till I want to do something I'll be waiting a long time you know if I want to wait till I want to go to a meeting or have to go to feel like I you know um, so I really just need to take the positive action no matter what and I just wanted to comment that uh, as far as feelings you know I have uh, a self-hatred addiction, you know, it feeds into perfectionism. And, and so it's always been hard for me to humbly accept my imperfections because I like to play God and I, I get absorbed in that feeling, you know, after I do something quote-unquote wrong. And um, so it's just a matter of somehow finding ways to feel the feelings, you know, talking to my sponsor, talking to people, you know, not letting it fester is, is very important. And... Uh, and, and then again, also trusting that they'll change in God's time. And somehow it feels like it'll never, it'll never go away, but it always does. And so I just need to talk about it and, and have some patience and self-love. Thanks. Uh, this question is, uh, what are some examples of amends you did not make directly because it might harm the other person? I guess kind of part of that was, uh, how do you know you weren't just avoiding doing something difficult? Well, it was an, an ex-relationship, and, and you know, I think... At the core is somehow I wanted her to love and accept me. I knew that. And yes, I did, uh, I did have a large part in being very negative in that relationship. And, and basically, basically I knew, you know, when that ended, she didn't want to have anything to do with me. So that's a pretty good sign that, you know, it's, it's inappropriate for me to contact her because I never, 
oh yeah, I could hope she changed. But so I, I knew that that would cause more harm than good. I knew it would drive up the past, and uh, you know, so I, I was able to uh, to remember that, you know, and let go of my my codependent need for approval. Thanks. I'm Michelle Kaposvo, reader. Um, you know, and I want to reiterate what Tom said in his share about you talk to your sponsor, you know, because yeah, I would have liked to have delayed all of them, um, but if if you really think there's some some harm that you can cause, you run it by your sponsor because uh, my motive is not always honest. So thanks. Okay, so this is, my name is Dolat, I'm a food addict, and um, so for my quiet time, I, I do a couple of different things, depending on kind of where I am, um, but mainly I do um, let myself have a, a good half an hour, and I have my daily devotionals, um, meditations I have for today, uh, OA book, and um, a couple other books that have daily meditations, and um, I also have a journal and uh, I, I, sometimes I read first and then I write, sometimes I write and then I read. But I always write a Dear God letter. I write to God and um, I um, do write my fears and resentments, if I have any, at least consciously, but I definitely make an attempt. And a lot of times the reading, um, it's amazing how it really is exactly what I need to read. And the re I may just read to the, um, to the meditation um, but I have the dialogue with my higher power. Um, uh, I do the first three steps. And sometimes, actually, um, a lot of times these days, I actually go into the child pose, in the, in the yoga pose, and I do my first three steps in that pose because I really want to be really humbled and, uh, you know, um, and in a, in a child pose, um, the... the the child pose and, and be touching the ground and I really need to feel my body against the floor um, because I my mind can go all over the place and I really have to stay focused and connected to my higher power and my body um, and um, then I do the prayers that I mentioned before I ask um, in the back of my journal I keep track of my favorite um, prayers and so I do I do um, I do to God give me the willingness to trust you. God give me the willingness uh, to live life fully. And then the other one is um, uh, loving God. Uh, uh, loving life is worshiping God. And that means whatever life brings me today. And uh, so I actually kind of do this like a mantra. And I do meditate. Um, um, I set a timer and I let the timer um, let me know when to get up. Um, sometimes it's hard to meditate if I'm really going all over the place and I'm ex extra anxious. Um, so I try to do yoga poses. Um, and then the other piece is that it's been just incredibly powerful and I learned from people in the program is to have, um, like I wash dishes and I talk to God. Um, I, um, I, was, I mean, when I garden, I talk to God all the time. Anytime I start getting upset, I try and stay connected um, and have a dialogue. And I'm a very visual person, so I, I, I'm in a difficult meeting. I, if I can, I have an empty seat for God. I don't tell anybody else what that seat is about. 
um, I've, I've got on conference calls and I, you know, in my mind, I, I just excuse myself for a minute and I conference got in. Um, so, you know, a friend actually said, oh, now you have a magical friend. And I said, you know, I, I take this magic over the magic of thinking I'm going to eat my face out of everything and not gain weight. So um, if there's magical thinking, that's what I get to do. Um, so I bring God with me everywhere. Um, but that's what it sets the day off for me. So. Because I work really closely with sponsors, and I didn't make amends until I did that. I, I didn't have an, make you know I didn't make a mistake doing steps eight and nine because I you know I, I delayed until I was highly qualified. But um, the biggest mistake I made was I really delayed doing step nine. Like I said, I deprived myself of the gift of step nine because you know I was abstinent quite a few years before I got did step nine. I mean I had all sorts of reasons. Um, but I was several years abstinent. I was maintaining a, a, the weight I weight right right now. But I was still, I still had a lot of crazy voices and uh, guilt and shame going on in, inside me. I mean, I could talk about the kind of amends I used to make before I got to the program. Just like, I'm so sorry. And then, you know, I love you, don't you? And then my kids would say, how would we know we, you love us? Because we're always yelling at us. So that's, that's not how to do it. I know that. So thanks. <laughs> First, I couldn't think of anything, but then I, I would think it's just delaying on, the, on omitting myself from the list of, of you know, needing to make amends to myself and delaying that and not doing it that often. And one thing I did learn from someone else's, uh, I might call it a mistake, is where I used to work, uh, somebody sent a letter. I worked in the public service area, and this person stole a lot of stuff, never returned it, whatever it was he was supposed to. Didn't didn't list his name, and didn't make any amends. Just said, this is what I did. I mean, didn't make any restitution or anything. And the people I work with, I saw their response was very negative. Like, what is this? Why is he even bothering? So it did teach me that it's important to really uh, be of substance when doing this and, and be direct and really make restitution, you know. Thank you. Well, you know, I had a really hard time for a long time of practicing the principle of step 10, self-restraint. And it was very humbling. I'd been in a program for years, and yet I would react just like that in my family, especially my ex and my daughter sometimes. And I would say that, uh, what was the question again? Was that? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So the best, that's the, I, I got better. I did get better, progressively better with that. So I was able to somehow, you know, process the feelings and practice self-restraint instead of reacting and, and just deal with it when I was not less tense and more relaxed and 
if I needed to say something, I would say it more positively. So that's probably the best. Uh, this is Michelle again. Um, you know, I, one example, I mentioned my kids, but another example, I had a, a, a friend when I was 20, uh, oh, a former college roommate when I was 28 years old, and she got cancer, and um, she died. And she had cancer for probably over a year. And I lived in San Francisco, and she lived in San Diego. And I, um, you know, I never visited. I kept saying I was going to come down and visit her, and I never did. I called her once in that year. Uh, you know, I was afraid. I didn't know what to say. And um, and when you're and I was wrapped up in my job. And when you're 28, you really really don't think someone's going to die. Um, so it wasn't. You know, my. So obviously, you know, you're 28. You do dumb things. So I couldn't make amends to her because she's she was dead. But well, long before I got to OA, and um, what I my living are amends to my friend Connie is that I show up for my friends when they're sick. And that's, that's what I get to do. And there've been, I get, over the years, I've had a lot of opportunities to do that. So thanks. Well, um, the way I, I guess what comes to my mind is, um, especially with my loved ones and my, and, and my husband and my children, um, and mainly my husband is, um, uh, is is really to to be able to see my side of the street, and it's not easy to do. And um, I definitely use the fellowship a lot. I call and talk to my sponsor, and I talk to other people in the program. And then when they remind me that my serenity is more important than being right, then I'm able to actually see my part um, easier and be able to be accountable. And to really remembering that um, by being accountable and making amends that it doesn't mean I'm a doormat and I get to be a victim. So I get to keep on showing up and doing my part and, um, and wanting to contribute to life today. And whatever that looks like, you know, that I'm willing to surrender that. And just that constant praying and asking God. And a lot of times it's, God, please let me shut up and let you speak. Um, and, uh, and that actually seemed to work for me for the most part of this. What about amends when folks live far away? Um, you do them by phone, face-to-face, some other way. The only thing I would say is, uh, is yeah, phone probably, and it's better, like I said, it's number one face-to-face, but it's better to do it by phone now than face-to-face ten years from now. So uh, whatever is whatever is suitable at the time, you know, it worked the best. Uh, while you're up there, Tom, the last one is, uh, Tom, what is your abstinence? Sorry. Uh, my abstinence actually uh, now is uh, four meals a day and uh, raw fruit or raw vegetable juice occasionally in between. And it's evolved over time, and and basically I've uh, I don't list in the abstinence, but I've abstained from anything that resembles a dessert in any form, except for fruit, um, and several other things that just don't work for me now, like dairy. Uh, I haven't had caffeine in many years, uh, etc. 
pretty much alcohol except when I go to mass. It is now time to close this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with uh, I Put My Hand in Yours. <laughs>